This is the Darcy Jarreau Podcast, episode number five. Today, my guest is Mark Snow, leader of the Libertarian Party of Ontario. We'll be talking about the election in Ontario. Welcome to the Darcy Jarreau podcast, uh, Mr. Mark Snow, leader of the Libertarian Party of Ontario. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. We're right smack dab in the middle of week two and uh, of the Ontario election, and everybody's going full tilt. Uh, it's also farm season. I'm trying to be a, a farmer eventually when I retire, and, and that's uh, going full tilt as well. But uh, very busy, very, very busy. Right on. Uh, first of all, so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm. Uh, my name is Mark Snow. Obviously, uh, I'm 59 years old. Uh, born in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, to a, a military family. We moved around a lot. I call Trenton my hometown because that's where my mom is. But really, my home is now where my family is here in the Ottawa region. Um, at 18, I I was given the option to join the army by a very kind judge because I was not a very good kid. And uh, it changed my life. It made me a better person. It made me a more uh, 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 dutiful Canadian in, in regards to uh, growing my personal growth and, and learning about honor, duty, and discipline. I served uh, just under 30 years and uh, uh, retired back in 2011. I've owned a construction company. And uh, in 2012, uh, what brought me to the Liberty Movement was after 30 years in the Army, I, I went out to get my firearms license so I could go hunting again. And I couldn't believe how much the rules had changed from 1980 to 2011 in regards to what they required you to have and do. And that led to, you know, learning about firearms laws and then, you know, getting into hunting groups and talking about self-defense and what do you mean you can't defend your property? And that kind of that kind of what started me into the liberty movements. So I've always been a civil rights activist as an underdog uh, my whole life uh, fighting back against the, the system. Um, but uh, uh, I found out that all of what we had before I joined was gone with the new constitution and charter. And that really made me start questioning, you know, property rights. It was a couple more years before I actually found the Libertarian Party and it was a, an odd post about property rights. And it finally dawned on me that, hey, wait a minute, these people that I've been, you know, religiously voting for for 30 years, they don't care about this stuff. They don't, they don't recognize it. And as I got into the Liberty Movement, I literally found out that uh, we are all told a lie, basically, that we have, you know, freedom and democracy, where you have political parties that, you know, run these extraordinary uh, political events, like in 2018, when we ran 117 candidates and were completely shut out by the media. It should have been a huge event. And, you know, just things like that about what is right and what is wrong uh, and what is being promoted and hidden in the background in regards to politics. Uh, it That's how I... That's how I came to it, and uh, I said that I would eventually be the leader of this party, and I would take over the federal Libertarian Party. Well, I'm here now, and I'm here as the leader of this party. I've only been here since October, and we've done a lot of work since then. Why don't you give us an overview of uh, the election in Ontario? I haven't been following it, so let us know what the dates are, how many candidates 
you guys are running and um you know maybe some of the what you see as being uh the some of the strongest opposition to the libertarian ideas in Ontario so the election was called on June 4th and the actual election is uh, sorry the election was called on May 4th and voting day is on June 2nd um we will have probably 25 to 35 candidates uh which is really disappointing but at the end of the day um it is what it is. Uh, a lot of people, we had a lot of people scheduled to run in January, but after the Freedom Convoy, uh, people got afraid and times change, you know. So if we had those 60 or 70 that signed on in January that, that stayed, uh, we might have did better with candidates. The people that are out there, we got a few great new young candidates that are new libertarians that have found the movement and have signed on and they're the future of the party. The election issue should be taxation and property rights, meaning self and uh, business and land uh, over the aggression of the last two years of the government to, to basically destroy the, uh, the economy of Ontario by shutting us down because of poor health care planning. They're not talking about that. They're talking about building roads in the north and the, the NDP wants to hire everybody in the education system at $25 an hour and the, sorry, the Liberals want to do that and the NDP want to build a million homes. You know, it, it makes no sense. All of this is going to be done by debt because the middle class has been the most hired by the lockdowns and the shutdowns of businesses. And so they're running around doing what, they typically do, which is promising to fix more things by creating more debt without the economic base of business to be able to capitalize on that income of revenue coming in. They've killed it. They've, they've shut down a third of the economy in Ontario like they've done across the, the province and, and uh, provinces and Canada as a whole. So uh, we have another party called the uh, New Blue Party. They're running 124 candidates this election, just like we ran 117 last time. And you don't hear a single word of anything in the media. This should be a huge event like ours was in 2018. It should be a huge political news and, and complete radio silence from all the mainstream media. So if people wonder if we live in a democracy, we don't. We live in the illusion of a democracy where no voice matters, only what is approved. And that's where we are getting to the state of Canada. That's where we need to come back from. Uh, I'm, I'm not disappointed in our uh, ability to field candidates and everybody has a reason for not running. I'm happy that we're still kicking a boat and around and we're going to put a presence in this election and we're going to rebuild over the next five years with me as the leader or one of these new young people coming up that needs to be there. This gray haired white guy, uh, as passionate as I am, needs to be changed to the face of the new young libertarians across Canada. Uh, so. When you bring up the convoy and uh, the fact that maybe some people are scared of getting politically involved, could you expand on that a little bit? A lot of our candidates didn't want to run because they feared uh, the overreaching arm of authority that came after people's bank accounts and the cancel culture. I mean, the business that was open that served... Uh, bagels to the convoy was targeted afterwards and visited by the city and, and basically shuttered out of business for what trying to earn a living and uh, there's a lot of palatable fear out there about taking a stance and and 
in my case, I, I took a stance on the 23rd and got myself arrested on purpose by contrived event. And I will be uh, going to court to fight those charges. Uh, I have a great lawyer and uh, I, I can't really say too much about it. But uh, when when you have to take civil disobedience action, that for, for a simple, basic, fundamental right of freedom of expression and freedom of assembly, you know, fundamentally, there's something wrong with inherent rights. We don't have rights. So if you have to go to court to enforce those rights, then you have to go to three years worth of hell to be able to be able to speak in court and to to then prove that the charter was effective. And the Constitu the Canadian Constitutional Foundation, September now, they got uh, status along with four other people uh, to uh, bring Brian Peckford's uh, Freedom of Movement Charter Challenge in. So this will all be defeated, but it's the harm that's being done in between. Now, that being said, the pandemic has done a couple of things. It's exposed the fragility of the three-day supply system, and it has really opened people's eyes to what they believe is our Charter 2B rights, freedom of expression, thought, religion, and assembly. People always thought these were immutable things. They've learned that they are not, and, and government authority is now uh, subverting those written rights. And that has been the greatest awakening for the liberty movement, uh, I think, in the, in the last 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, so I didn't know about you getting arrested. Uh, when you are able to talk about it, let me know. I think we could do a whole episode on on that subject. But if it's not something you can talk about right now, we'll just we'll just move on. Well, it was uh, unbeknownst to the uh, police that were arresting me. Uh, I was live streaming, and when I decided at that point that I was going to cross the line. I put my phone in my upper pocket and it was live streamed for my whole arrest from inside of my pocket. And when they took it out and put it in the evidence bag, it was live streaming the whole time until they realized after about 15 and a half minutes that it was, and they turned off my phone. So it's on the Facebook uh, party page on the Ontario Libertarian Party Facebook page. Go back to February 23rd. You can see it all live streamed. Uh, okay, I'll take a look at that, yeah, and hopefully anyone listening to this will do the same. So, obviously Ontario, you know, was, uh, had some of the most oppressive COVID restrictions in the country, potentially in, in the world. I mean, along with Alberta was another place, uh, you know, typically uh, conservatives, people on the right, you know, in the past, uh, 10 years or so, they like to talk a lot about freedom and liberty and stuff, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence that conservative governments in Canada uh, would have made any any difference as far as, uh, you know, not uh, impeding on people's rights and civil liberties. What are the solutions proposed by the Ontario Libertarian Party uh, as far as uh, ensuring or entrenching uh, people in Ontario, their freedom and liberty and all that sort of stuff? There's two ways you have to, to, to look at this. I don't think there isn't a single person alive, whether you're libertarian or not, this is my personal opinion, that wouldn't have disagreed with the first couple of weeks of lockdown because we really didn't know. We really didn't know. So is, was it a prudent measure? Do I agree with it? No, but... Would I probably have did the same thing if I was the leader of a majority government? More than likely. 
But if I was the leader of a majority government two years ago, it would have meant that I won the election and we would have already changed health care outcomes. The purpose for the lockdowns across Canada was to protect a system of health care that is failing, that they keep it's failing. It simply has failed. Uh, you know, in, in 2018 was $64 billion. In 2022, it's $74 billion. So $10 billion later, five years later, under conservative government, nothing's changed. As a matter of fact, outcomes have gotten worse. And because of there's this failing of our public health care system of, of an imbalance between the money and bureaucracy and the frontline services, the bureaucracy has grown over the last 20 years, which has cut the ability of frontline services, which created the needs and conditions in which the government had to lock things down to protect the system. I mean, uh, it is fundamentally a failing of our public health care systems because an imbalance in the funding. If this was, if we were a majority government and fixed this and actually spent the last four years fixing it, reducing the bureaucracy and increasing the amount of frontline healthcare workers and ventilator machines and staff and opening up doctors being able to apply, you would have had all these more positions where we would have had more staff. Furthermore to that, what this government did in Ontario was they asked nurses, my wife is a nurse, to work in COVID environment at great risk without knowledge for almost a year and a bit. And they they said, please sacrifice your life in the in the in the form of healthcare, in in supporting your fellow citizens. And then at the end of the day, what happened is is that they put in the vaccine mandates. And guess what? If you didn't get it after working in it for a year and a half, you were fired. So they let go almost three thousand healthcare workers in the system, which added more to the crisis in the last eight months, even the crisis that we're in today. It is absolutely a crisis of healthcare in mental health for the lack of staff and the super huge implications of you have a hundred patients and one gets COVID everything changes in regards to the amount of hours you have in a day to work and that is across the board in all provinces right now the implications of COVID and, and workplace relations uh, have a severe impact on uh, resourcing for them to be able to deliver those services. So in actuality, everything has gotten worse under two years with 10, under four years with $10 billion more money. How exactly would the Ontario Libertarian Party uh, cut this bureaucracy and increase these services? So twofold, in regards to healthcare and education, the fundamental problem with that is it's not that there's not enough money. It's the distribution of that money and delivering the, the frontline services, because that's what we're talking about. Education in the classroom and healthcare in the hospitals. Right. So as long as the government re retains authority over your your medical budget and your medical and your child's uh, uh, education, you as parents and voters have no say. So the way that we will address that, like we talked about in 2018, that we've expanded upon in this uh, election platform is that one, we will attach the funding to the individual person for healthcare and education. Under 16 years of age, parents will control who they want to send their children to. Secondary to that, in regards to um, healthcare, the individual funding, yes, that's my boxer, the individual funding will be attached to the person. And we will decentralize Ontario's uh, Queen's Park power to go back to regional municipal authorities. So when we attach the funding to me that lives in the Ottawa area, all of my $6,800 will go directly here in my 200 square mile area of my region. So 100% instead of around 49%. So 
if in effect overnight we will actually double the budget to be able to deliver frontline services. Same with healthcare, or sorry, same with education. Attach the funding to the child, parents make a choice. If you're happy with your local public Catholic school down the road, then 100% of it goes to that region. And if you don't want to use that public system, then you go to a Montessori or your Catholic, your uh, your your mosque, your, your your whatever your religious or community, small community needs are, and that funding will be attached to the child, $12,400. If you decide tomorrow that you want to educate 10 kids, you can make 12000 or $120,000 a year, but you have to deliver a program. We'll eliminate a curriculum because Elon Musk's model of the school or the New Zealand model of voucher systems and, and no curriculum is the right way to go because a, a one-service-stop curriculum in education doesn't fit every child. We need schools of excellence. We need centers of you know physical hand uh, uh, skills training and we need book smart people and we need computer smart people and, and you can tailor that education to the skills and need sets of your children or go to a school that has that. But the key thing about being able to attach the funding of healthcare and education to the individual is this, it removes the power of the, fed, of the provincial government authorities to make decisions and make education promises and healthcare promises that they've been doing for 40 years to improve outcomes. They will no longer be able to make an election promise or a promise of any kind because they won't control the funding. Take away the funding control from the, the politicians, myself included, and now you get real outcomes and you have real ability to address the needs at a local level. And those politicians are no longer able to make a promise about it. That's the way the system has to go. I'm not 100% for OHIP, you know, our healthcare pro program. But if we're going to start, we've had 40 years of socialism to take over in, in socialized healthcare, and it's going to take 40 years to get out of it. The start is to correct the imbalance of funding and to um, put the needs of the people first and make sure that they control the funds so the politicians can't affect outcomes, either through union manipulation or big business, right? Because that's what it all comes down to. Remove the power of the, the politicians to have the funding control, put it in the hands of the people, and now you have change. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Now, it sounds like uh, you're not actually talking about decreasing funding in either of those sectors. You're just looking at tying the current funding to the individual. Right. And the other aspect to that on both the, the education and healthcare is, is over a period and probably three or four constitutional challenges, we will introduce the ability of people to be able to buy private health care with the same amount of funds that they have, right? So if you're $6,800 per person, four people in a household, $24,000, it's your money. Why can't you decide where it's going to go? But there will be hurdles to be able to achieve that ability. We should be able to, if you decide to take a private provider, take your OHIP card and swipe it at any hospital or swipe it at anything or at any clinic and that be charged back either to your system or the healthcare system. I'm, I'm against all of the government uh, control over healthcare and education, but you have to start somewhere as pragmatical and practically and fixing it first and then seeing those changes occur might either support the need for that taxation over the long period or create the conditions in which people can see competition. Uh, but one requires legislative change and the other one requires uh, administrative change and who owns that uh, power because really that's what it's about.
Uh, I know one thing you've been pretty vocal about is the gasoline prices in Ontario. Uh, so give us a snapshot look at what uh, rising prices in general and then in specific uh, prices of uh, fuel and even utility stuff in Ontario looks like. So if you go back to 2008 when oil was at a, a $95 a barrel and a, a liter of gasoline was $1.36 and people thought it was outrageous. Today, a barrel of oil is $103, $105 and gas is over $2 a liter here. Uh, so what has changed in the market forces? Taxation, carbon taxes, road taxes, uh, uh, GST infrastructure tax and all these uh, taxes that have added to the cost. And, and, and it's a double whammy because when we pay for our, our fuel at the pump, the HST is separate on top of it. So we're paying tax on a tax on a tax again at the end of the day. So the, the first thing that you have to do in order to address the next two years of pain that we're going to go through is this. Simply remove all of the, the taxation on the liter of gas in the province of Ontario under provincial authority. End of story. Remove it. And then to, to make up for that lost revenue, you go back and you reduce layers and levels of government to make up for that lost revenue so you're not going into debt. If we don't get a hold of this, uh, if we don't start reducing taxes on fuel, then the supply chain system which delivers all of our goods is only going to increase the cost of doing all that business down the road. It costs more to truck, it costs more to farm, it costs more to heat, it costs more to put your electricity in. So these are things that we have to do that can be done immediately, but it will also require the need to gut government in the same level of lost income so that we're not adding to our largest subnational debt uh, in the world uh, as a province other than California as a state. So that's, that's the first thing that you can do. The second thing that you can do is to uh, start reducing immediately regulations that would allow small um, people to be able to sell things from their home and sell farm gate sales, milk and cheese and, and other types of uh, uh, self-sustaining small markets where they're now regulated, such as uh, dairy and milk and anything that we could do from a provincial point of view of law, short of the Dairy Farmers of Canada, then we would do that to immediately allow for that local supply to be cheaper. If I want to raise 50 meat chickens here in Ontario, in order to be able to sell them, I have to pay for a processor to process those chickens and put a stamp on them. Well, that that two years ago was $6. It's now $11 per, per chicken. You can't compete with the, the large grow operators to be able to sell free-range organic chicken, even though there's it's less of a cost to raise them. The processing fee alone makes it incompatible to be able to sell that uh, product with any kind of market margins where you, where people would actually consume it as a, as a product. Unless you're super rich and willing to pay $25 for one of my four-pound chickens, you know, you're not going to buy it simply as that. You're going to go to Walmart where I was today it was $12 for two chickens that are about a pound and a half, two pounds a piece. You just can't compete. And we need to reduce those barriers to allow more farm gate sales without the regulations and reduce all those regulations. Why is a pound of butter $8 a pound now when Trudeau gave under USMCA an extra $240 million and $173 million to the dairy farmers of Ontario? And what happened is the price of butter went up $2 a pound. How come it's up to $2.50 a pound? It just, it makes no sense supply management in that sense alone. If they're getting all these subsidies, then the price should stay the same, but it's not.
So one of the things you pointed out earlier was that you are very passionate about property rights. Uh, maybe give us a glimpse of what the problem is, specifically in Ontario, with property rights, and again, what yourself and the Ontario Libertarian Party see as a solution. So in our 2018 platform, and it was carried on and expanded upon into this this one to be more delineated and written, we will eliminate the Municipal Property Act. The Municipal Property Act is the overreaching Queen's Park power of every municipality. The city of Ottawa has to send their budget to it. It also is the formation in which uh, the uh, cities can then regulate through provincial authority and in, in, impose anything they want through the Municipal Property Act. Second thing, Municipal Property, Municipal Property Assessment Corporation. These are the people that run around assessing your houses. It is a giant $3.5 billion, billion a year tax grab on landowners. We'll eliminate that. Uh, the conservation authorities, which now can come in just arbitrarily by looking at a map, designate a third of your, your property as a wetland, and all of a sudden you no longer can build or do anything on that. And then lastly, conservation officers. Conservation officers uh, across the country have the authority to enter into your property at any given time into your house without a warrant. Now, why must we protect property rights? because property is the fundamental underpinning of all libertarians. That means property in your land value, your physical phone that's in your hand while you're walking down the street, and your own bodily self-autonomy. So me, I'm property. I should be owned by myself. None of us Canadians have any property rights, both in self, medical rights, or land. Those were eliminated in 1984 with the new constitution and charter. Ed Broadbent was trying passionately to bring in Brian Mulroney and Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the, the, the current PM's father, bring back in property rights were deliberately written out of it. And prior to that, we had the original constitution and the Bill of Rights, which guaranteed property rights. But what Mulroney and Trudeau Sr. knew is that they were losing so many cases due to property rights on federal crime issues. So the first state of installing communism is to remove, remove property rights. And property rights were not included. And I believe you're a firearms owner like myself. If you understand that as a result of that, all Canadians, all of them, not just firearms owners, lost the right to defend property. And when that happened, then the state has to grow. That's allowed these conservation authorities to come into place. It's allowed all kinds of other authorities to move in to take up that void of property in the form of state intervention to be now the, the owners of your property. Before that, they didn't have the right to do it. So that's what I learned in my quest to go back and get my hunting license, get my firearms ownership, that I learned that we had lost our rights as individual human beings. Secondary, Section 2B of our Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedom says that we have freedom of thought, religion, uh, assembly and press. But it is the illusion of democracy that we are being sold into our Charter of Rights and Freedom because directly above that is Section 1, which allows the government to suspend at any given time for whatever given reason, for any whimsical reason that they want, uh, the, the temporary suspension of all other rights from 2 down to 67 in our current Charter. That's not rights. Those aren't rights. Those are privileges that you are granted uh, that can be limited and taken away from you at any given time. 
Section 318 and 319 is, was incorporated into the Hate Crimes Act, whereas in the U.S. you have free unadulterated speech as long as you're not inciting violence. Here we now have the ability, Justin or Jordan Peterson, you know, compelled speech and being able to be charged under the hate crimes law. So we don't have free speech. We have compelled speech, which can put you in jail for simply expressing an opinion. So this kind of brings us into uh, what you have on the platform as the introduction of the Ontario Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, Could you speak a little bit to that and how it might uh, reinforce some of these libertarian ideals uh, and uh, replace the uh, Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms in a way? The, 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 the stated goal of the exercise that we did in regards to Charter of Rights and Freedoms grew out of the restrictions. And someone said to me, do we have a Charter of Rights and Freedoms for Ontario? Did we ever have one? And no, we've never really had one. So the thought process got together is, is, is several writers came together and we discussed how we would approach this as a media idea event. Uh, in other words, something to promote the party. Um, I'm on record as saying that if I want a majority government of 124 uh, seats, that I would enact every bit of that. And, and, and as a talking point, it would do two things. It would enrage people on the left and it would embolden people on the right to be able to have this discussion, which we don't have about freedom and rights. But in reality, the, the Ontario Charter of Rights and Freedoms that we wrote is a mirror of Quebec's civil code and Quebec's own laws that it has in regards to taxation, public health care, education, and land rights. So we mirrored it so that Ontario can have the same rights as Quebec has right now who never signed the Constitution. And they were the smartest province not to do that because they have retained all of their own individual autonomy. So I've been torn apart by this, uh, by people saying that, you know, this is anti-libertarian or, you know, you're going to fundamentally destroy it. What is wrong with having that conversation of Ontario residents having the same rights in the Ontario government and protections that the government of Quebec has in the confines of confederation? Why can't we be more autonomous? That's the problem is people you, you look at why is the federal government getting into health care? It's a constitutional uh, provincial activity, which they have no jurisdiction in. But this is how socialism creeps in. This is how state intervention creeps in. When the provinces fail, the, the, there's only one taxpayer. If Trudeau's going to put it out there, we're going to pay for it. If they're going to reinforce it in the province, you're going to pay for it. If they're going to implement it at the, the municipality, you're going to pay for it. There's only one taxpayer in Ontario, and every time these provincial and federal levels decide to do something different, it hurts every single person in Canada. There's only one taxpayer to draw from that that uh, debt from. Um, so we're almost out of time. I want to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can follow you and how they can support you in the election. So uh, www.libertarian.on.ca, it's like the libertarianparty.ca, but with an O-N in between. Uh, Facebook, Ontario Libertarian Party. Telegram, Ontario Libertarian Party. 
the Twitter and Instagram, we've not been able to get those party names back because the passwords have been lost for them. That's why they're inactive during this election. Um, uh, in Ontario, if you're listening to this, by all means, go out and support your party. Whatever party it is that you want to vote for, make sure you get out and vote. I'm a veteran. I have lost 11 of my best friends and colleagues defending freedom and democracies in other countries of the world that we're now trying to defend in our own country. The things that we died for and the people died for in World War II in Afghanistan in Bosnia and Somalia, uh, the, the soldiers that died at home uh, through suicide. It is important that you vote. I don't care who you vote for. We are not getting a representation of the real uh, voter uh, turnout anymore. And that's because they have created conditions of voter apathy that my vote doesn't matter. It does. Okay. Very cool, Mark. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on. That was Mark Snow, leader of the Libertarian Party of Ontario. You can follow them and support them at libertarian.on.ca. And to make sure you never miss an episode of the Darcy Giroux podcast, subscribe on Substack. Substack.